to 90% Mental. I'm your host, Graham Parr, and thank you for listening to our sixth episode. Today I have a really special guest. His name is Donovan Britt. He is an owner and coach of the Las Vegas Krav Maga Mixed Martial Arts Academy. Today you're going to listen to a, a man who is completely bulletproof when it comes to mindset. Not only have I played college football with Donovan and witnessed his mindset, his bulletproof mindset, He's also been a soldier for the U.S. Army. He's also a third-degree black belt and has prides himself in learning as many martial arts as possible. What you can hear from Donovan is his perspective of the warrior mindset and the type of mindset that you have within the octagon versus the mindset that you would have to defend yourself in a normal street situation. Lastly, we're going to talk about Bruce Lee and his mindset and how Bruce Lee affected Donovan's approach within mixed martial arts, but just overall as an athlete, as a coach, as a father, Bruce Lee left a huge imprint on Donovan. And we, we talk a little bit about how he affected Donovan's life and, and how important Bruce Lee is to the world of mixed martial arts. So let me introduce Donovan Britt. Again, you're going to enjoy his thoughts, his tenacity towards life in teaching mixed martial arts and Krav Maga. So let's go talk to Donovan. Hey, Donovan, how are you? What's up, man? How you doing? I'm doing great, man. How are things going for you? Good. Good. You know, everything's all good in Vegas. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Well, I want to thank you for uh, coming on my show today. I'm excited um, for many reasons to have you on the show, but obviously we're going to be talking about mindset and just my history with you, uh, playing football with you in junior college <laughs> and watching yeah. you. All the way through, you know, your adult life with Krav Maga martial arts, you're a man who is just bulletproof when it comes to mindset. So, I think my viewers are going to get a lot out of hearing uh, your point of view on not only just your point of view on having a mindset in life, but how you how your mindset is as a coach um, and how you deal with athletes. So, so we'll we'll get into this right now, and I love asking this question to everyone. So. What does mental toughness mean to you? Right. So, you know, it's, it's probably, uh, God, it's a lot of things. But the short version for me is, you know, shit's gonna, bad things are going to happen to you. You're already, you've already um, anticipated that. And how you deal with those things um, manifest themselves physically, right? So... Mental toughness, to me, is how we deal with the physical manifestations of the challenges that come to us. So, in other words, you know, uh, the physical discomfort that comes, um, the the knots in your stomach, you know, before a game, uh, you know, before a fight, um, or when I was in the Army, you know, before an operation, no matter what your part is on the team, you want to make sure that you've done everything you can to prepare mentally for the bad stuff that's going to happen because nothing's going to go 100% of the plan. Right. And when those physical manifestations come, how you deal with those things and then how you deal with the unknown. The ability to deal with the unknown really defines, to me, mental toughness. Okay. You know, we, don't, we never know for sure what's on the other side of that door, but you got to be willing to kick in that door. <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. Now, from from the time that we played football in junior college until now, 
because uh, the way that I've known you, the way that I've experienced you, that you were very, very confident, your mindset was, again, bulletproof. Has your mindset changed since then? And, and if it has, what, what are some of the things that have changed? Well, so, right, like, so the confidence came from a lot of that was preparation. Like, like I knew I had done the work, right? So it wasn't just confident in my ability, but I was confident in my ability because we'd done the work. And we, you know, we put in all that time. I knew the plays. I knew where everyone was going to be. I trusted my teammates. And then at the end of the day, I had ultimate trust in myself, right? So, so that has been consistent in my life. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's what's helped me get through some of the tough times in my life is as if, if I have to bet on anyone, I always bet on myself because I know where, what, what my capacities are. But look, I've had some, some, uh, some defeats because of that, because I've always thought by force of personality, I could just make stuff happen. Right. Regardless of what the numbers may be, regardless of what the situation may be, we'll come out on top because I want to come out on top or because I'm going to outwork someone or because hell I've had success before. We'll have success, success again. And there's been times where I've got my ass kicked because I thought that, but the truth of the matter is I don't think I could have done it any other way because that's who I am. Right. So, so if you've done the work and you're prepared and you're ready to go and you've got the ability, then you do it. You know, I, and I always tell my coaches here, always bet on an athlete, always bet, trust the athlete to do what they, what they will feel in the moment, as long as they're prepared. Now, if the athlete isn't prepared, then you're going to have a problem because they don't trust themselves. They can't truly trust themselves if they know they haven't done the work. I agree with you 100%. I think that's a great point. You know, as a coach, um, Donovan's actually an owner and coach of Las Vegas Krav Maga. Um, as a coach, how do you teach an athlete to have that, that warrior mindset with practice and also with competition? How do you instill that type of mindset from your perspective? Right. So like, so Kromaga is, is, is completely different from, from MMA in, in, in its use, right? So Kromaga is a combat system. It is a system that comes from necessity. It exists for one reason, and that's to keep people safe in the worst moment of their life. So we developed that or harness that survival instinct in Kromaga practitioners. Kromaga practitioners are regular, normal people um, who we put through some really tough scenarios, We'll teach them how to punch, how to kick, how to move, and all these things. But then we'll have them close their eyes, have them get surrounded by people. Someone will come and grab them and choke them. And we expect them to be able to perform the defenses that we teach them, right, mm-hmm. uh, under stress So and at combat speed. So the way we build that mindset is to constantly make the attack as real as possible and, and expect them to perform it and put more and more pressure on them so that in the moment, the training is actually worse than the actual event. So that's what my God. Well, in the fight, or for a fighter, an MMA fighter, at least our guys, well, I'm a big believer in holding them accountable for showing up, obviously, but giving them every opportunity to train. They train daily. We're not, I'm not a big believer in heavy sparring uh, for, for my fighters. I, don't, I, think, I think there comes a point where I know how tough my fighters are. I don't need them beating the crap out of each other in sparring and being hurt going into fights. Um... Um, so we make the conditioning tougher, we make the drills tougher, and also holding them to a standard. If it's not right, they do it again. If it's not right, they do it again. If it's not right, they still do it again. We, we don't leave until it's right. 
you know, and that's and that's the mentality that that we try to, you know, encourage. And some of those look, we're talking about fighters, man. Anybody who gets into a cage or a ring with another human being to do bodily damage, you know, you're talking about the rarest of 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 mentality. Okay, right. Right. Um, you know, even like football, you know, you really can't hide in football. But if you're a punter or a kicker, you know, people aren't out there necessarily trying to kill you. Right. Right. You'll be out there for a couple of plays. You know, everybody wants to kill the quarterback, right? Because the quarterback's the glory guy, right? So and he's got the ball time. But so, but there are places even in that environment you can be protected. When you get in the cage or the ring, there is no protection. Right. It's you and this other person. So the mentality has to be different. So what I try to tell my fighters are, and even with my young kids, um, you know, I tell I tell the parents of my young kids that that fight. I'm like, look, I intend to put your kid in harm's way. There's a kid right now training to take your kid out. And if their coach isn't telling them to hit, you know, to attack the, your child in that way, then they shouldn't be in this business. So, um, you know, one of my fighters, one of my young fighters, I've trained her since she was eight years old. Um, she's she's 11 and 0. She's never lost a round in a fight. And she's a monster. And she's fought everyone from 105 pounds to 145 pounds and won multiple titles, seven or eight titles at this point. And she's a killer. She's a killer. She's not, she's, we call it her fight name is the assassin. And, and it's literally, it, it totally fits her because outside of fighting, she's the sweetest kid you ever want to meet. But as soon as she walks into a weigh-in and the other fighters see her at the weigh-in, there's, there's this chill that comes over the crowd because she turns into this ice princess. She's no, no emotion at all. She's just simply there to kill you. And, and it's not, it's not personal. It's just business to her. And we've, we've cultivated that in her since she was eight years old. And she's uh, 18 now. So, um, you know, it's something that fits her personality and it works well. Um, and so as a coach, you talk about mindset, you have to know how to reach each, each performer, right? Each athlete. Some athletes, I can yell at them and scream at them and they respond. I do it to some of them, they'll shut down. It just depends on the, 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 the fighter, depends on the, on the practitioner, Kroma guy. You know, it's, it's, it is what it is, you know? Right. I mean, and you make a great point because from a coach's perspective, you got to really hone in on, on really, it's not just about teaching the skill. You got to really know your, your athlete. The more you get to know them, the more that you can be more effective as a coach. And especially with, with the athlete you're talking about, the assassin, you know, I always, when I work with athletes, I always talk, talk to them about, especially in combat sports is how does an athlete separate the person from the athlete? So the man or the woman yeah. from the athlete. And whether if you're going in a ring, when you're going on a football field, it doesn't matter what, a court, a swimming pool, how do you let go of who you are and turn into that warrior, if you will? Yeah, that's, that's, so that's a tough one, right? Like Because a lot, I think a lot, a lot of professional athletes struggle with that. Because, look, we live in an instant – football especially is instant gratification. And so the victor goes to spoils, and the spoils are are typically like for guys. It's money and women. I mean, that's, those are those are the spoils. And so when you're that guy, right, and you're on the field, and you're and you're, you know, I used to tell I used to tell guys all the time. I don't know if you remember this, but I when we were out on the field, I used to tell them like we're we're immortals for this two hour period, mm. and the only thing that can touch us is another immortal, maybe, right. right? So we're all trying to achieve this great status out here, and so and so. It's the ultimate conquest. It's the ultimate, you know, alpha, alpha male conquest, right? But, but I tapped into an alter ego. Like my alter ego was like, 
I didn't care. I wanted to be the best ass on the, on the field. And I didn't care about linebackers and all this other. I didn't care. Like, I'm going to smash them too or make them look really bad. Right. And that, and that was kind of the deal. Like, like, you know, you, it wasn't, but you can't just talk it. You got to live it. But yep. But, but you have to also turn, turn that part of your personality off, off the field because it doesn't really fly outside of that environment. Right. Right now in my environment. Now I walk in now and uh, there's respect for my students and there's respect, but from, from uh, my, my instructors that work for me, you know, um, and, and they know that when I come in the building, energy levels are going to pick up. I expect that. No matter how hard they're working, as soon as they see me, I know they're going to be like, we got to pick it up. Right. Just because, no, I might be like, hey, this is not good enough. I need I need more. And I've done that on a number of occasions where I've stopped the class. I've walked in and I felt the music wasn't right or, or the energy level wasn't right. And I don't accept it. I don't tolerate it at all. <laughs> but that's my personality. That's my, that's my, my more drill sergeant personality doing that. Right. And there's a method of madness. I'm doing it on purpose. I want, I want them to know that they can always get more out of themselves, yeah. you know? So, um, and hopefully it triggers in them that they sense when something's not right. And they, it lights an internal fire in them and go, I got to pick this up myself. Right. That's awesome. You know, I was thinking, you know, when you're looking at MMA versus Krav Maga from a mindset yeah. standpoint, and, and I'm going to kind of come from a, a competition, not not necessarily practicing. But when you're going into a competition from an MMA standpoint, obviously, like you said earlier, you're the athletes dealing with a lot of stuff, internal, external situations that are happening. They're they're nervous. They're excited. The crowd's big. There's a lot of things going on from a mental performance standpoint. Do you teach your athletes how to deal with all that stuff and then from an MMA standpoint it's different I mean from a Krav Maga standpoint it's different because you're getting them trained to be in that moment when something happens you need to flip and you need to defend yourself so the mindset is different right it's quicker you have to access those things quicker well actually the mindset is the mindset's similar I think the the nature of the combat are are different though Mm. right like in the street I always tell people no matter how much trash these guys talk to each other before an MMA fight, they're not really there to kill each other. Like they're not, there's no, there's none of that. Like it's different. Like, you know, there's rules, there's weight classes, there's general, you know, there's pre-fight meetings that we go to and everyone knows what you can and can't do. And, you know, there's a lot, a lot of that, a lot of that animosity that you see. That's all to sell the tickets, man. That's all to get asses in the seats. It's not real. It's not real beef. Cause if it was real beef, there wouldn't be a fight. Cause as soon as I see the guy in the parking lot, I'm going to take his legs out and choke him out like that's real beef right right so 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 a lot of that stuff is phony um but but the mentality of like from my guys like if someone comes and approaches me in the street and attacks me in the street then i become absolutely merciless i'll do i'll do horrible things to that person to go home and say i'm gonna go home with my family whatever condition that person is in that's on them they made a bad life choice so so we're gonna do whatever it takes where we're not limited by the rules of decorum and that's not cool so everything is open to us. So groin kicks, eye gouges, headbutts, biting, all that stuff is coming out immediately. Right? So and that's and that's before we get to a weapon. You know, you know, um, we do a lot of stuff with weapons training, whether it's handguns, knives, improvised weapons, books, bottles, you know, coffee mug in my hand, whatever's available to me becomes in play. Right. In Krav Maga. So so the mentality is, is is the same in the sense that I want to do as much damage to guys as possible. But the 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 there's always going to be in, in sport and in MMA there's going to be a referee to stop it. I can't like an amateur fighter you can't kick a, a downed opponent 
um, you know, in the head. Or the same thing with the UFC. If they're down, you can't kick them in the, in the street. If their hands hit the ground, I'm not, I don't care if their hands hit the ground. They're going to get booted to the head. Right? Like, so that's, that's, that's a different mentality. And there's a viciousness and a meanness that you have to develop if you want to survive. I, I, I 100% believe that. I don't, I don't think it's about a skill. You have to have some skills in the street. But you know what? I don't need to be skilled to pick this mug up and smack your skull with it and kick you in the groin. Right. Like that, that's a mentality. Right. Right. Like, so, so, um, or even the, the mentality pre, pre-incident, right? Like getting on an airplane, I get on an airplane. The first thing I do is I take that SkyMall magazine and I roll it up and I stick it back into the little, the little pouch. That way someone jumps up and they've got box cutters or they've got something in their hand and I have that magazine, they're going to have a problem. You never bring a knife to a magazine fight. Right, you just don't do it. Right. You get your teeth knocked out of your head. Right, so so we actually train with those kinds of things, but just having the mentality to be there prior to it happening is a completely different walk of life. Right, you've already considered that it is possible that these things might happen. Right, and most people walk around in their day to day lives and like, well, I live in a gated community. You know, I, I you know I live I live in a nice city. I don't live in that neighborhood, so things don't happen. It's like, well. Violence can happen anywhere there's human beings. Yeah. Right? So MMA, I'm like, I'm going to get into a fight in the MMA. One of my fighters is fighting on Saturday. Well, we knew about this fight a month ago. We've had time to prepare for it. We know what weight class is going to be. We know she's not going to have any weapons on her because everyone gets patted down before they go into the, you know, into the cage. <laughs> no one else is going to jump into that fight, you know, because there's going to be police there and the Nevada Athletic Commission is going to be there. I mean, it's completely sterile. So when people try to compare MMA to a street fight, I think it's I think it's wrong on a lot of levels. No, and that that makes sense, and and the clarity of that makes sense. This goes. This question is 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 the same thing for MMA, but more so for Krav Maga. But I, I can only imagine to perfect the the self defense moves. Obviously, there's a lot of repetition that has to that's taken place. So, how much visualization do you push? For both MMA fighters and and your Krav Maga athletes, because I would only imagine that they have to see themselves so many times to respond in a certain way. So, what's your thought on that? Yeah, no, I, I think it's imperative. I think it's imperative not only in, in in my field, but really in anything you do in life, right? Like, so you have to see yourself standing, you know, in that dark alley, and 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 what does your you know? I used to, when I train women, do women self defense classes. You know, I always try and put them in this place. Like, you know, many of them have been attacked already, right? So, like, if you line up 10 women, you know, six or seven of them have been attacked or sexually assaulted in their lives. It's, for men, for us, it's very difficult for us to imagine, you know, someone pinning us down and doing whatever they want to us. But for women, it's a reality, and a reality that I see on a day-to-day basis. Um, so we try to put them in that, in that mindset and visualize back to that event, and visualize it and say, okay, now knowing what you know, how would you handle it? Mm-hmm. And now understanding that, that, that because that thing happened to them in the past, it doesn't need to define them now, but they have to see it. Right. I had a, a student uh, a few years back. Um, she, there was a guy here in town in Vegas. They called him the cuddler and he was breaking into women's houses and he would cuddle with them. He, he wouldn't sexually assault them, but he wouldn't let them go. He, he'd snuggle up next to him. Well, she was victimized by this guy. Wow. So they finally ended up catching him. He was a sick guy. But uh, uh, so she comes to me to train, and she had not slept in her bed, and I, I was like over a year. 
she could not find her way back to her bed. So we had a small, at that point, a smaller school, but we set up a small room, like a bedroom. And it was completely padded with wall, with pads on the walls. Uh, and, and so we did a seminar and um, how to survive a, a home invasion or a home attack or an assault at home. She had no idea that I put a bed in that room, and I did it specifically for her. I bring her in the room. She's blindfolded. I took the blindfold off of her, and the bed's there, and she lost it. Wow. She's like, no. I mean, she's screaming at me, crying, shaking. I grabbed her. I'm like, get in the bed. And she, I'm like, you're going to sleep in your bed? You want to sleep on the floor the rest of your life? And she's like, no. I'm like, then get in the bed. So she got in the bed, and I shut the door and opened the door, shut the door. Her eyes were closed. And I said, okay, get up. And she woke up, and there were three guys in pads standing around her, and she had to fight her way out of the room. The goal was, if you get the door open and get one foot out, it was over. So, um, now imagine this, Grant. There's like 20 people waiting in line for themselves to go around this corner. They don't know what's happening in this room back here, but they can hear everything. They can hear, right? Right. So, they hear her screaming, they hear the, like the, the pads, they hear the guy screaming at her. She gets, she opens the door and tries to step out. One of the guy's hands go over her face and pull her back into the room and shut the door again. And it, like, we had a reporter here from uh, the local Fox affiliate and she literally was trembling. She was like, well, well what, what's going on? But she came out. So uh, long story short, uh, uh, Kayla, my student, she actually went home and slept in her bed that night. She's, she's been sleeping in her bed ever since. And she understood. Like, you can fight back. You don't have to be a victim anymore, right? And if you die, you die. But you go on your own terms. You make it a good death. You don't go whimpering and begging for your life. You you don't do that. Like, this whole notion of of, uh, when there was the the shooting in Florida, uh, the mass shooting, Mm -hmm. people going in the bathrooms and texting, you know, the family members saying goodbye to them and all this. I'm like, "Are are you kidding me? Like, there's no way. Like, you shut off the light. You stage on the door, and when that guy comes in, you kill him. You get his weapon, and you kill him. Right. You you don't stop hitting him until he's dead. If you're not sure he's dead, you shoot him. Mm. Like, you, like, you have to have that mentality. There's no way. I have a T-shirt that, that says on the back of his like Basically, I'm not texting my family members saying goodbye. I'm going to take your weapon, and I'm going to kill you. Like, literally, it's, it's not. That's the mentality that we're trying to produce in civilians. Listen. 9-11 is completely different if those people on the plane realized that they had magazines and shields, the flotation device, the seat that they were sitting on were their shield. They could put their arm through it and beat the little piss out of those guys who have box cutters. Mm. No way. Wow. It's different. But, but they never, they, what they've done is they've, they've given their, their safety, their survival, they put it in the hands of someone else. Right. We start with the premise that no one's coming to help you. Right. It's you and them, and that's it. <laughs> so once you do that, now you can take personal responsibility for yourself. Right. And so what that does is that drives people to say, you know what? I got to train. Right. I have to train. But listen, here's the truth of the matter. You're going to have 30, about 30 to 35% of the people in the world, they're just not built like that, man. No. They're not about their life. And guess what? Those are some what we call soft targets. It's natural selection. Those will be the people begging for their lives and, you know, praying and sending text messages. And you're going to have the one percenters like myself who are going to be out trying to kill everything, trying to kill us. Right. Right. Well, it's it's interesting because I think what you're saying is, like, generally speaking, the mind says that people already give up 
in a situation. 100%. You know? Yeah. And yeah, they, but, but, but that started when they were kids, though, right? Yeah. That started when they were kids. Like that, that, and that's the thing. You know, these parents will let their kids start stuff and quit because it's tough and this and that and other. Like, and I'm like, hey, whoa, 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 wait. We, if you do that now, if you let them quit now, they will quit everything that gives them. They won't even love you enough to try and fight to go home to you, which is crazy. It's insane. I couldn't imagine something stopping me from fighting to see my kids again. Right. There's no way. Like, that's not going to happen. Right. It's not going to happen. Right. And, 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 and listen, I tell people this all the time. I've got a great life insurance policy. You know, my kids and my family will be taken care of. So I'm free of wondering what will happen. Like, what will happen to them? I've already taken care of them. So now I can take care of that situation in the, in the, in the, in the interim. Now, remember what I talked to about earlier about being prepared? Yeah. Because I've done the work. Mm-hmm. That's the same thing. I know I've done the work. Right. I train every day. I, I do this stuff all day long from, from, from hand to hand combat to firearms to everything. That's it's my life. So in that moment, if something happens to pay, I'm ready to go. Yeah. You're trusting the process, right? Mm-hmm. And that's, and that's, that's beautiful because when you can trust the process, that's where confidence comes from. When you can realize all the work that you've done. Yep. I mean, that there it is, man. Listen, all the sprint, like think about from an athlete standpoint, all the all the wind sprints, all the 40-yard dashes, all the times running the routes over and over again, the hitting the hole, you know what I mean? Understanding, walking through the play, running through the play, knowing that, listen, when we used to play ball, why, I used to go and watch the linemen and what their blocking scheme is. Right. How are they going to block this play? And then where's the weakness? Where's the weakness? So then when I have pass protection for you, I knew, okay, if that guy's not blitzing, the back, backside guy is. I need to I, I need to be there to pick that guy up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. And understanding the defense and being being you know kind of wanting the defense to key and be a, I wanted to be a focal point. I loved it when they would stand across and be like, "Hey, watch forty four. Mm-hmm. Right? They better just not that some bad's gonna happen. Right? Mm-hmm. Right? But we need that's our advantage. Trust the process and understand all things. You can be a step ahead. Right? A step ahead. But most people are emotionally lazy. They don't want to invest, especially now, because we be, we come to the society, this 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 part of society where you don't even need to be talented to be famous. Right. They, we, right. We've made completely stupid people famous, and it's it's uh it, it's it tells the kids well they don't have to work hard. I, you know you know here in my academy, my kids class I read their grades in front of the entire class. Awesome. Like so when they get their report cards they bring them in. And one of the boys, he brought his grades in. He's like, I'm embarrassed. I'm like, well, you weren't embarrassed when you weren't doing your homework. <laughs> right, right. So why are you embarrassed today? Right. right. He's like, well, I'm like, you're just embarrassed because now you know your classmates are going to know that they can't have their party that they that we were going to have because you're the one kid. You're one of one kids that got a D. I have a, I have a tell him that I want all A's and B's for everybody. And then I'm gonna, we're going to have like a gigantic party here. Right. Right. Well, I think like I'm going to cater it for them. We're going to go nuts, right? But everyone has to have A's and B's. Right. No C's, no D's, right? So uh, and they know that, um, you know, and he was embarrassed. But I told him, I'm like, dude, this is, this is part of being a man is owning what you own. So, again, developing that mentality of, of, of the athlete being responsible for showing up, the athlete being responsible for doing the academic Work, then they need you to stay eligible. 
the athlete being responsible for for like I don't I don't babysit my fighters on making weight. Like I know a lot of people struggle with making weight. I can tell if my fighters too heavy or not. I have a rule. My fighters cannot be heavier than twelve pounds of their of their fight weight. Okay. So if they want if they want to fight at one twenty five, they better not weigh more than one thirty seven. Right. <laughs> like ever. Ever. Walking around, they have to maintain their weight at one thirty seven. Or they're not fighting at 125. That's just the rule. On the week of the fight, the Monday of the fight, when they wake up, that Monday, we weigh them. They have to be within five pounds of their fight weight. Wow. They can't be 10 or 15, 10 or 12 pounds over, you know, the, the week. I don't, I don't tolerate it at all. Because I want them to be, even at my amateurs, the most unprofessional thing you can ever do is miss weight. Mm. Because the other fighters have been training and doing what they're supposed to do, and you're going to show up heavy. Right. It's just completely disrespectful, in my view. Well, I love it because you're teaching them ownership, right? Ownership of responsibility. But what I love the most about this conversation is that from a mindset standpoint, you're teaching them to have a certain mindset in your academy, in school, as a civilian, like there's a mindset. So you're not just like, you're not there as coaching them to get better, you know, at a certain skill. You're you're coming from more of a global, broader perspective, you know. Less than one percent, less than a tenth of one percent of my students will ever be fighters. And I mean, like, get in the cage and be a fighter. I've got like I've got a couple of people that I'm training right now um, that I think could could go pro, be fighter. One kid, he's got an amateur title fight coming up in April. Uh, if he wins that fight, then we'll probably turn him pro after that. Um, um, and then I've got one other female that I'm working with right now that that I think she could be pro, you know, in a few years. Other than that, I don't even consider anybody else in that regard. Everything I'm doing with these people is to either a build the young kids up so that they can become whatever they want to become, or b with most of my adult students and most of my students are adult is repair the damage that they either A, did to themselves or someone else did to them over their life so that they can move forward and enjoy the rest of their lives and be whatever they want to become. Awesome. But the reality of it is, is everything that we apply, that when we punch, when we punch the bag, we, when we hit, we're, we're tearing down our own fears. We're tearing down our own you know, misgivings and the stuff that we've, we've told ourselves, right? Because right. a lot of people, we plant those seeds in ourselves and we let them grow. We don't realize the negativity grows and it spreads like a weed. And you gotta you gotta kill that shit every day, or or it'll end up costing you. I know, man. Like I went totally. I came to Vegas 15 years ago, or 14 years ago. You know, made made some money in real estate. Totally went broke, lost everything. Had a restaurant business that bombed. So I've been there. Mm. I've been literally standing, you know, in my in my living room, with my wife looking at me, going, "What are we gonna do?" Mm. You know, we have we have fifteen thousand dollars in in bills due every single month. And we have $150 in, in our account. What are we going to do? And I looked at her and told her, don't worry, tomorrow's a new day. It was about, I remember, I'll never forget it. She was crying. I'll never forget it. I said, tomorrow's a new day. And she said, what does that mean? I was like, you watch. Sun's coming up tomorrow and I'll be, we'll, we'll make it happen. Mm-hmm. That day, I, I think I made, I went out and I made like $25,000 cash that day wow. on, on, a, on a different deal. And, and that would have never come to me had I, had I not look forward to the new day. Right. And so you got to always look forward to the new day and you got to have a short memory if you want to be successful, right? You can't be dwelling in your, in your, in your mistakes and you can't be dwelling in your, in the things that go well because right. you start feeling yourself too much and that's when bad things happen. Big time. 
Big time. And that's a great story because I, I literally, when I'm talking to athletes um, and just people in general, um, you know, it's more of a, of a Buddhist mind, but the two days you don't want to live in is yesterday and tomorrow. And you got to yep. be present. And, you gotta, and that present, um, that mindfulness is really key to that mindset. Yes, you can get excited for tomorrow, have that hope for tomorrow. But just to know, be confident in the in the present moment. That that's awesome. You also talked about like tearing down fears and going back to the story of the woman who, you know, the cuddler situation. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I mean that's from a simulation training. I mean that's I think that's awesome. I mean talk about tearing down her fear, right? Yeah. I want to ask this question about breathing because typically anything. If you want the body to respond the way you want it to respond, you got to have your breath. You got to control it. And so, when you are getting attacked, do you teach these these um, these athletes how to breathe, or is it more just reaction? It's not even about breath. No, no, no. It's 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 uh, breathing is is vitally important, and it's something that I touch on almost daily. Um, and what I do is that what I tell them is is like, all right, so so. Uh, when we go into combat, you know, when I was in the army, going, you have a, a war cry, a battle cry, right? And, mm-hmm. and the samurai would do that from afar, uh, just to let the enemy know that they were coming. And it was an intimidation thing. It was a great psyops thing because sound, sound has an an, an incredible impact on the on the psyche, right? right? So so um, it's the same thing. Just like you know, think of the, the, the haka that you see before, uh, right. you know, uh, rugby matches, right? It's it's that it's it's insane when you see one that's done. You know how intense it is, and the breathing, and the yelling, and all, and the movements. Well, breathing is, is a big part of that. Um, not only does it help release that stress and that fear, it also helps focus the body. It helps focus the body. So, like when we punch, you know, it's not more like a ki a ki like in, in, in karate. It's I always tell people it's a combat sound. When I hit someone, it's like rah, like I'm exploding into them. Mm-hmm. Every time I hit them, like rah, rah, like just like. And when you make that sound and you hit someone. This person who's attacking you now, all of a sudden, they fear for their safety. And now they're like, oh, my God, I'm locked in this, in this cage with this animal, right? right? What happened? So, like, our kids, like the kids program, they fight in the cage every week. I put them in an MMA cage, lock the door behind them, put them in. And people are like, why would you do that with kids? I'm like, because when they stand in front of a bully and the bully's, like, pushing them, the kid's, like, totally inoculated to this entire process now. Right. And our kid now literally will see the world as this cage that we've locked them in. And now they're not thinking, oh, my God, I'm locked in here with this bully. In their mind, they're thinking, yes, bully, you're locked in here with me. Yep. I do this for fun every single week, and this is my world. So welcome to my world. Right. You see it. And they've developed it, and they become not, not an animal but more of a machine. They're completely motionless. They're not caught up in the, oh, my God, in the drama. They're watching this person center line like they've been taught. They can hear my voice in their head telling them exactly what to do. Right. My students in a fight are like, yeah, coach, it was like you're standing there right next to me. Watch the center line. Here comes the right punch. Step in, elbow him, grab him, headbutt him, sweep him, put him on the ground, stop his face. And literally the fight was over. And 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 so, you know, when, when, even with my adults, you know, my adult students that come to fight class are terrified of my of my kids that show up at that adult fight class, and they should be. They should be because I always tell them if I bring a kid to adult fight class, you can rest assured that kid has had thousands of rounds of sparring and they are not afraid of you. Right. And they find that they usually find out the hard way because they'll drop their hands in front of one of the kids 
We've only had one knockout ever at sparring class, and it was one of my teenagers putting down an adult male. Wow. And because he totally took me, he, uh, I remember he, slammed, he body slammed Angel, and uh, Angel rolled out of it, and uh, I showed him the video somewhere, and uh, my student is walking towards Angel with his hands down, Angel jumping, spinning back this, and I mean, lift this dude up. Like, like a Christmas tree, dropped in one punch, knees behind his, I mean, she folded in half. And uh, it was a violent, violent, explosive knockout. And uh, he outweighed Angel by about 35 or 40 pounds. Wow. And it was a tune him up. Um, and it was one of those deals where all the adults in the class were like, oh my God, like, like what happened? Like a bomb went off. And the scream, the sound that Angel made when he made the strike, it was just, Rah! And it was, uh, it was, it was beautiful. It was beautiful to watch. Yeah. So breathing is very, very important. And sound is important. Right. Like, so in, a, in an abduction, we teach kids. And I'm, like, I teach the kids, I don't, have to, I don't tell them what words to say. They know all the curse words. But if some adult is grabbing them, we tell them, scream at them, snarl at them like a demon, and curse them. Mm. And tell them, I'm going to rip the balls up, you cocksucker. Like, Why? Because we want to psychologically dominate the attacker. Right. Right? You demean them. That's the first thing. The second thing is, if an adult is coming by, they're going to hear, who's this kid talking like this? Mm. That registers with an adult more so than help, help, help does. Right. The foul language. And also, the kid, the more he curses, the harder they start to hit, the more they fight back. It puts you in a mindset. Right. It puts you just in a completely different mindset. Like there's no nice way to, to go about it. So, so we, we actually teach them these techniques, you know, when they're dealing with school dealing with stuff. Um, and, and, and I can tell you that it works and, and I'm a big believer in it. A lot of people think my, especially my kids program, uh, it's Croft kids. We have, we actually have a YouTube channel called Croft kids. And, um, we did, we shot some episodes. Um, uh, we saw about four or five episodes of the show. We got some good feedback and some people were like, this is way too violent. You know, yada, yada, yada. And I, I don't, I don't make any apologies. I, like, you see one of my kids, he gets hit in the liver and collapses. I grab him by his face, pick him up, stand up. Like, like, I'm like, you can't fall in a street fight. Mm. They'll be, they'll beat you harder. They'll kill you if you fall. It's going to hurt. Embrace the pain. Right. Suck it up. And some of the parents are like, this is nuts. Like, when the feedback we got was like, you know, you're an animal. And I'm like, yeah, well, my kids are going to survive. I don't know about your kids. Right. You know? And I feel like I'm about to, but this is one of the reasons why I can't stay in Taekwondo schools. I hate them. I, 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 I it, 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 it drives me absolutely nuts that they're still in existence. Um, they, they, they pass out belts like they're, like they're candy. They steal money from parents and all these parents, you know, like, Oh look, Johnny's got another trophy. Mm. Yeah. But Johnny's going to fight to save his life. Right. right? I, I know because I've got the little Johnnies and the little Timmies that come in here with their black belts and karate and taekwondo, and my nine-year-old girls drag them from one end of the room to the other. Right. And, and they get, Grant, you should see them. They get emotionally overwhelmed by these girls coming at them, ah, 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 kicking them, sweeping them, holding their head, hitting them. Um, when Bella, one of my girls, she's 16 now, she was, she was fighting an 11-year-old once she, when she was nine. Wow. And she was in the full mount, and he reaches up and grabs her, both of her arms. And he's like, okay, she can't punch me anymore. She literally took her head and bang, headbutted him right in his face. They had on headgear. And she smashed him with her face. I have the video of it. Wow. 
Wow. And he let go, and you could see like all of his hopes and dreams just went away. He just he resigned himself to the fact that he's going to get a beating. Wow. And I, I I literally had to pull her off of him. But that's what I want. That young lady will never be attacked by a man. Mm. It'll never happen. She'll tear his arms off, right? Mm. And, she, and you should see her now at, at 15. You know, she was 16, 16. Now, she, she, we call her beast mode. She has this whole persona, and it's a real deal that, like, she doesn't even look like someone you want to tangle with at all. Not at all. You'd be wow. crazy <laughs> mess with her. So where does that come from? That started up here right. first. Right. Right? That's very important, and then, and then I think that parents understand, like, like you shouldn't enroll your kid in a Taekwondo school. Like, it's not, you know, it's not a self-defense system that's worth, you know, like, that's why they don't teach it in the military. That's why they don't teach it to law enforcement. It's not, it's not combat-related. Right. So, and so, it's those things. So, I'm a big believer in fight back, man. Well, we don't negotiate with those. The also, too, the, we live in a different world today. Yes. You know, there's yes. The, the predators are, uh, they're more vicious. Um, more people are trained, period. So, I mean, even if you're not trying to defend yourself, you get yourself in a scuffle, you don't know if that guy's a Donovan Britt. You don't know if that guy has been, you know, trained. So, it's it's just a different world. So, that all makes sense that the Taekwondo is just kind of not a. The good news is, Taekwondo. most people who really train. The, the, you know, I can tell you most good guys that really train, they're not out fighting in bars and stuff. Like, like if you take your training serious, you understand violence and you understand that violence has a finality to it. Right. right? There's a finality to this. And this is why we tell people, it keeps people in check. Keeps your ego in check. I, I don't get in fights um, because I understand that if I am to fight someone, like I'm not fighting to win the fight, I'm going to completely destroy them or they're going to have to destroy me. Right. Like I'm not messing around. Because number one, I know that it's more than likely that they're armed. It's more than likely it's going to be more than one person that I have to fight with. So seven out of ten times a weapon comes out during during a street altercation. Seven out of ten. Now, now, not necessarily a gun, but usually someone starts getting their butt kicked and they need a force multiplier. So they'll grab a knife or they'll grab something that's handy and now now you're dealing with this. Or their buddy will jump in and all and just to avoid all of that, all of those things, I'd rather not get into a fight. Having said that, because I know that that's part of the equation, I'm far more violent. And once the fight, once it's obvious there's going to be a physical altercation, then I'm going to finish the guy as quickly as possible. And 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 be like that's something that I throw. Like I'm going to put him down. So there's control, incapacitate, and terminate. Wow. Right. Yeah. Control the guy, like the drunk guy at the bar control him and I might control him by just simply leaving and going to another bar that's the best thing to do right like I people are like why would you leave I'm like there's like I live in Vegas there's bars everywhere right so so um that's that's the first thing or I control him by sitting him down or you know or defusing by buying him another beer I've done that multiple times like hey bro I'm sorry let me buy you a beer and they're like what what <laughs> right. buy you a beer. what are you drinking uh Coors What's your name, John? Hey, let me get a course for my buddy John. Now, look, that beer costs me somewhere between five and you know twelve bucks, depending on where I am. Right. Um, but you know what? That costs a whole lot less than than attorneys and 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 you know medical bills and all this other stuff, right? right. So, so it's an investment. I'm investing in, in John, and I'm investing in myself the way I look at it. Right. Um, but there are some people who will come out and if they're violent from the jump, 
and then that goes out the window now I have to incapacitate them right you have to do so much damage to them that they cannot continue in their attack and and terminate most civilians never have to take it to that level but I live in Nevada so we carry I carry concealed firearm every day mm-hmm. uh, so and I'm a big believer in that it keeps people uh, it keeps it keeps people in check right um, and I've, I've got I've, I have students who have had to put people down um, unfortunately you know one of my students was uh, just moving into an apartment with his wife as newlywed she also trains with me um, uh, and they were going to get uh, they got pizza and they were getting ready to go in uh, from the parking lot guy grabs his wife guy grabs him says give me your money guy in front of him has a gun doesn't know that my student is also carrying he starts jerking uh, his wife around a little bit he decides you know what now's my time knocks the guy's gun down clears his gun and double taps the guy other guy takes off and runs um so of course the police came and they put my student in handcuffs and they once they found out what happened they let him go well yeah it's a clean shot but his mindset, he had already trained that if this happens, mm-hmm. I'm going to do this. Right. It wasn't, I just bought a gun, I put it in my drawer, and I don't train. In my school, I built a shoot house here so we can perform home evasions, workplace violence, you know, um, all, different scenario-based training. You, you've got, I've got videos all over YouTube of me doing um, uh, stuff at ATMs, carjackings. What happens in these places, and are you prepared should something come? Right. So again, mindset is it's 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 uh, what they call. There's a great book called Left of Bang. I forgot who the uh, the the author is right now. It's a former military guy. It's called Left of Bang. Um, and so, what all the things that lead up to prior to you shooting being involved in a shooting. Mm. And, you know, and there's, there's other books, Meditations on Violence and all these other books that, that, that we read. And I suggest to my students, uh, the, one of the best books ever is called The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. Um, uh, Gavin is a, is a security specialist, a world-famous security specialist. He's based on San Francisco, actually, um, uh, but he, he's, he's got a fantastic company. Uh, at any rate, uh, The Gift of Fear, I've, I've given that book at Christmas time to, to to people and they love it. It's, it talks about trusting your instincts and building that mindset and listening to that voice that says, you know what? Something's not right about that guy. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. And not to talk yourself out of it and going, ah, you know, you know, or I don't want them to think I'm racist. I'm like, well, I, I tell people this all the time, you know, especially women. She's like, I don't want the guy to think I'm a bitch. I'm like, well, better to be a live bitch than a dead nice girl. Right. Right. So, so, you know, if, if you think someone's following you, you should turn around, right? Like, right. So that's the deal. Awesome. Uh, as far as as far as as far as you know, mindset goes, it's very it's very critical. I'm gonna check out those two books, Left of Bang and and Gift of Fear, and I encourage yeah. encourage my my listeners to um, to check those books out as well. I do want to ask you a, a question about Bruce Lee, and I think I'm gonna I'm gonna have you back on. The show, and we're going to talk all about Bruce Lee and his mindset because I know that not only do you have a passion for following Bruce Lee, but you have been kind of a student of his philosophies. So, how has Bruce Lee's philosophies affected you as a as a person, as an athlete, and as a coach? Yeah, man. You know, Bruce. Bruce. Uh, I, I've got pictures of Bruce hanging up in my office downstairs at my school. One of the first posters you'll see is a poster of Bruce 
Bruce was way ahead of his time on a lot of levels. Um, you know, Bruce was everyone else. You got to remember. Okay, so uh, real quick, the United States doesn't have an, an indigenous fighting system, right? So in the '60s, in the '50s and '60s, what you had happening was guys coming back from World War II who had been stationed in Okinawa and, and in Japan who were studying you know, studying karate over there uh, or in Korea where they've been doing Taekwondo. You know, they, they took a few classes or they studied. You know, the plane takes off and they were a white belt over there, but when it landed, magically they were black belts and they started op- opening up dojos here. Mm. Okay, so that's the, the karate for the, the karate uh, craze. Well, Bruce came from Hong Kong, where Bruce was um, a, a hothead, right? Like he was a young when he was youngster, he was a hothead. He, he took Wing Chun. Uh, he started taking Wing Chun after he was already you know been in several fights. Um, so. He ended up beating up uh, a gangster's uh, nephew or something like that, so he had to leave Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. But at any rate, Bruce, so everything Bruce was talking about was from a standpoint of what happens during a real fight. Um, so he was his his mentality um, is has been a huge impact on me because his thing is like, look, I don't care what you call your system. You can call it whatever it is. We're all going to ultimately try to do is achieve personal expression. Mm-hmm. In other words... When I teach Krav Maga to, to my students, I'm showing them a base of Krav Maga, but it's principle-based, not technique-based, mm. right? So everybody's got to build their own system to their own body type. Like I can do things, and I do things that some Krav Maga people don't do. And they're like, well, why do you do it that way? I'm like, why does anyone do what they do? They do it because they can, mm. or it speaks to them, right? right? So it's a lot like cooking. If you give a recipe to someone, when you get that recipe back, it's traveled around the world. It's not going to be with the recipe that you gave, but you gave him a good base. So Bruce is, well, Bruce was kind of like my base, you know, Jeet Kune Do um, and Krav Maga are very similar in philosophy. Very, very similar. Be fast, be explosive, destroy what you hit, show no mercy to anyone that tries to harm you. Those things are consistent in Jeet Kune Do. And uh, it's funny that you mentioned it. I just hosted a seminar here with two really great instructors, uh, one named uh, Nirma Mann and, and Richard Burton, or sorry, Burton Richardson, sorry. Richard Burton Richardson um, is a Jeet Kune Do um, practitioner. He studied under Danny Nasanto, who was Bruce Lee's right, right-hand man. Mm. Uh, and so for the first time ever, we're combining Jeet Kune Do and Krav Maga. Wow. Uh, and so it's become its own blend, and I've been kind of at the forefront of that for many, many years, and it, it pisses off traditional Kormaga people, which is, I'm totally okay with it, right. um, because they're not bringing anything new to the game anyway, um, and I and I don't believe that one system has all the answers. you got to keep learning. Always stay a white belt, you know what I mean? And if you stay a white belt, then you're, you'll, be, you'll be good to go. Well, you know what's interesting is um, Bruce Lee was all about not having a style. He wasn't into styles, right? So he thought, he thought he thought that was confining. Right. He thought that if, if you call yourself a judoka, then you're not paying attention to Muay Thai. And if you're only doing Muay Thai, then you're not paying attention to jiu-jitsu. And if you're only doing jiu-jitsu, so he thought he thought that, that the martial arts world was kind of like a buffet. <laughs> you try a little bit of this, you try a little bit of that, you try a little bit of this, and you go, you know what? I like this. I'm going to grab this sauce and put this on this a little bit and shape turn. He thought that styles separate or his martial arts should bring us together. And from a social standpoint, he was way ahead of his time mm. because, um, you know, he took a lot of flack in Chinese culture, uh, 
for teaching to outsiders. You know, there were schools in, in Chinatown in San Francisco and Oakland that if you were, you weren't Chinese, they wouldn't even let you in the door, you know? Um, and Bruce thought that was, was, was kind of, mm-hmm. um, backwards, backwards way of, of, of thinking. Mm. Um, and you gotta remember something. This guy had six movies, man, six movies. Now, how many movies has Steven Seagal had or John Claude Van Damme or Chuck Norris? They've had hundreds of movies, you know? Bruce had six movies and he had such an impact on the world. Right. Why? Because there's a truth to what he's saying. It was undeniable. And then of course the guy had a charisma that you couldn't, you couldn't teach. And he had physical abilities that, that were beyond, you know, human. Um, and, but he was, but what most people don't realize about that guy, he was a big, uh, thinker, the philosophy. He was, a, he was, he started studying both uh, Eastern and Western philosophy. He uh, had a video library of Muhammad Ali and fighters and fencing and a book. And this guy, this guy was way out of his time. I mean, he was uh, the first guy to take football pads and use them in martial arts training. Mm. So the body shields that you see used in martial arts every day, those came from the old school football pads, the old lineman pads. Oh, wow. And Bruce those. Um and that was, you know, like it was unheard of. The first MMA glove, I've got a pair hanging on my wall outside. The finger gloves, Bruce designed those. Um, you know, he, he was so far ahead nutritionally. He was eating protein. Like his protein shake literally would take raw egg, raw meat, blend it together with some milk and drink it. <laughs> like to get the pure source of like Bruce weightlifting. You know, he, he you know, back in the day. It wasn't. It was unthought of for martial artists to lift weights, and Bruce was like, "No, lift weights." I mean, he he was totally different cat, man. Right, and he was also into. Um, I, forgive me uh, for not remember the name, but the, um, the electro stimulation. Uh, yeah, so he electro seven. Yeah, yeah. So um, he 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 uh, he did that. He thought it improved blood flow, but also you could get it was a way for him to have keep have keep constant tension on his muscles and build his body up. He had incredible fast switch muscle fibers. Bruce did. Um, I know guys that trained with him, uh, and I've had you know um, conversations with them about you know training with Bruce, what that, what that was like, and you know, got to remember something. Bruce Lee literally had guys climb his wall in the middle of the night to stand in his yard and call him out to fight. Wow! And he'd come outside and beat the crap out of them, and then they would leave. Like he, like it was insane. His famous fight was with Wong Jack Man, and there's a apparently a really crappy movie coming out about that centers around it. Um, but a lot of people are upset about the movie, but, but, um, Wong Jack man, he's one, I believe Wong Jack man is still alive. Um, he fought Bruce on behalf of, uh, some guys that wanted him to fight. And, uh, Bruce ended up beating him up pretty bad. Uh, but Bruce thought the fight took too long mm. because there was a lot of pageantry and a lot of, he didn't, he didn't have that killer instinct. So that fight there made him change from his traditional Wing Chun to what he started calling JKD. Um, so, so yeah, man. I mean, there was a lot of there was a lot. Bruce was that guy was incredible, um, incredible. So two major influences on me were Bruce Lee and, and Muhammad Ali. Yep. So, so that's why I named my son Cassius. <laughs> my son's name is Cassius. Awesome. Um, yeah. So, um, but yeah, you, there's there's no doubt about it. Like I've 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 tried to read every article ever written about that guy, every book he ever wrote. I've got videos. I, I've, I've spent a significant portion of my life uh, uh, 
studying Bruce Lee. And, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because in, in Chinese culture, um, the Bruce didn't speak Mandarin. He only spoke Cantonese. Mm. So he spoke Cantonese and English. So where, where Mandarin is the primary language in China. Right. Right. Uh, and, uh, it wasn't until the last, I'd say, 15, 10 or 15 years where his popularity started to soar in China. Um, you know, I think I think we've always seen Bruce as being ours. And I think the Chinese culture is like, no, he's ours, right? Like, so, but Bruce, I think Bruce, Bruce did not see himself as Chinese or American. He saw himself as a man. Right. He saw himself as being one under, under the same sun. And if you listen to his, his interviews... You know, we could think about what's going on in society right now. Right. We could really learn a lot from where, where Bruce was coming from. 100%. 100%. So. Yeah, you know, good. it's awesome how he's affected you, obviously in a positive way. And, you know, when you, when you just take thing, attributes of Bruce, a lot of people remember Bruce as this martial artist that had crazy screams, right? Talking like a little bit, yeah. you're talking about how you're teaching your, your crop kids and your crop students to scream. And the fact that you're blending those, the, the two theories together, I, yeah. you know, I'm just saying Bruce would love that because you're blending styles, which he w- was all about. So, yeah. I, yeah. It's like, so like, that's the thing, right? Like, like in your own process, like this, there's a, there's a, there's a paper or a poem Bruce wrote called in my own process. And um, he talks about talks about that. So, in fact, uh, Jesse Glover it was his first student. Uh, Jesse since passed on. We're, we're at a point now where most of a lot of his original students are well into their seventies and eighties now, right. and so they're starting to die off. A lot of them are, unfortunately. But anyway, Jesse Glover was his first student. First uh, student happened to be this black dude, and Jesse talked about how Bruce changed. Um, when when he was in uh, when he was in Seattle, uh, he changed. Uh, when he moved to LA and he came back three three years later, he was teaching completely different than what he was. But what happened in between there, I think, was a long Jack Man fight, mm-hmm. and then Bruce started kind of re, kind of you know relook taking a look at the way he used to teach versus how he wanted to teach now. And some of his first uh, generation students didn't like it; they wanted him to stay you know, stay true to Wing Chun and not, not be different. And Bruce was like, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, apparently this is a story. I can't remember what student was. Next time we talk off his name, one of his older, older students mentioned that to one of his newer students. And that got back to Bruce and Bruce took it like he was disrespecting him. Mm. And older student said that Bruce appeared the next day at his school and was like, what's your, you know, basically what's your problem? He said it was the only time he was ever afraid for his life. He said literally when he was talking to Bruce, he had his hand in his pocket and his hand on his 38. He said because Bruce, Bruce Lee's temper was so bad. He's like to, ch- to challenge Bruce Lee when he was in a good mood was, was crazy. To do it when he was angry was suicide. Mm. And he said, I, he's like, I know I couldn't beat him. I would have shot him if he would have hit me. And literally he was so, so even when you, like I've got, I don't, Five years ago, I was teaching completely different than I am teaching today. Mm. Completely different. Because um, I, had, I had to grow. Right. And I had to, my, you know, my guys started coming to me saying they want to go fight, Muay Thai fights. And I don't know enough about Muay Thai to teach them to keep them safe. So I had to go out 
and go talk to some of my my peers, Dewey Cooper and Kerry Fitzgibbons and, and One Kick Nick and and all you know these guys are, are top trainers in the world. And I went and go sit sit at their feet and learn. Mm. What do I like? Show me what am I doing wrong? Like you know, invest in that training and show up at at, at these things and get my ass kicked. You know what I mean? Right. And and learn. But you know what? It made my fighters better. It made my fighters better. I'm not going to be the arrogant Krav Maga guy thinking that we can show up at a Muay Thai fight and not have any Muay Thai, you know, understanding at all and and, and get through it. Uh, we'd be a laughing, laughing stock. By the way, Krav Maga, when compared to those fights, mm-hmm. or fighting systems, or Muay Thai or MMA, yep. Krav Maga was kind of a laughing stock. Oh, wow. People, people didn't consider Kamaga a real fighting system because of all the groin kicks and all the other stuff that we do. Right. Like, well, you can't use it in a cage. What good is it? Right? Mm. It's kind of knucklehead nonsense. It's like the cage isn't a real place. Right. Like, it's a totally fabricated, like, it's not compared to a, a real fight. It's right. not, like, I'm not life or death. There's no weapons and all that. So we cover, we cover that. Right. But in Las Vegas, the fight capital of the world. If you're gonna have a fight gym, you gotta have fighters, right? So <laughs> I spent a lot of time, energy, and effort learning how to coach fighters, and I'm still learning to this day. I'm still learning new stuff, and I think any any coach that's gonna tell you though they know it all, then we we automatically become suspicious of, of them. Yep. No, that, that that's a good thought. Well, this is a perfect segue into you know at the end of every podcast, I always. I always promote books and authors and, and articles out there. So this book, what I, I just read recently, which was phenomenal. I learned so much about Bruce Lee. It's called The Warrior Within, The Philosophies of Bruce Lee to, uh, to Better Understand the World Around You and Achieve a Rewarding Life uh, by John Little. So check this out. If you really want to understand Bruce Lee, uh, like Donovan was saying, he was so way ahead of his time. The way that his philosophy is, the way he thought about life, um, it's really an easy read, and it's actually really, really um, informative. So check that out. Check out Left of Bang and also uh, Gift of Fear, a couple books that Donovan's recommended. Um, and before we go, Donovan, I know that you're very active on social media. Feel free to, to plug your social media and in your academy because I definitely want these people to yeah, check well, you out. Listen, uh, Las Vegas, Krav Maga. And Mixed Martial Arts. That's our Facebook page, Las Vegas Krav Maga and Mixed Martial Arts. Um, if you guys are ever in Las Vegas, you want to come by and, 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 and train or just come by and visit, come say hello. Um, we've got a great training facility here. We'll be doing uh, a lot of, uh, you know, home invasion seminars and a lot of, uh, you know, tactical training stuff in our new uh, shoot facility here inside the inside the school. It's, it's going to give you uh, a real sense of what works and what doesn't work under stress. And we're also very proudly affiliated, an affiliate of Krav Maga Alliance, the Krav Maga Alliance, which is led by John Whitman, uh, who's my instructor. Um, and, and we have a, an international uh, list of schools. So if you, no matter where you are watching this, more than likely you can go to KrabMagaAlliance.com and find a school that's uh, under the same umbrella that we're under and, and, and some great instructors and great people from around the world that will train. Last thing I'll tell you this. Training is simple. If you don't train, you are your uh, attacker's accomplice. If you're not training, you're your attacker's accomplice. You've got to train. Hmm. Um, you know, we have a, literally have a T-shirt that says "Train or Die." Like the, it's that simple. So hopefully, this will inspire some, some people to get in, get after, it, and at least at least approach it. And if you physically are unable to do so, 
reading books, watching videos is a great, great way to, to prepare mentally for those kinds of things. Awesome. Well, Donovan, I thank you for your time. I love hearing your mindset and how you look at things in life. Looking forward to having you on my show uh, in the future. Again, thank you. It was an awesome time uh, hanging out with you. Thanks, man. Hey, man. I'm proud of you, man. You know, we've been we've been friends for so long. I, I, I uh, uh, it's been it's been amazing. You know, uh, you know, watching so many guys that that we played with catching up and kind of seeing what people are doing. Right. Right. So um, I'm glad that I'm glad that you you pursued the passion. It's fantastic, man. I'm proud of you. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Awesome. Talk to you soon, man. Okay. Oh,